First Person Advisors is now a subsidiary of NFP, the fifth largest insurance broker in the world, combining local expertise with access to global capabilities and solutions. Learn more at firstpersonadvisors.com. The statistics don't lie. About nine out of 10 voters in the state of Indiana do not have a child in school. Mm -hmm. Yet you have to win the referendum in their district. So that means that you have to convey a message to them of how important the school is. It's all about community for Robin Winston, a driving force in moving the needle to improve schools in Indiana. A strong voice for those who have less, who just need a chance, like the opportunity Cook Medical is providing through a new manufacturing facility on the Indianapolis northeast side. It'll rejuvenate the neighborhood, create jobs. A grocery is going to be part of it. Goodwill Industries is involved. I mean, it's just, it's the perfect synergy to make a difference in a neighborhood. Robin Winston, respected Indiana civic and business leader, consensus builder, champion for racial equality, government, and a political guru. A Pittsburgh guy who's made an indelible mark on Indiana for the past 30 years. He's my guest on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. We stand here today on on what is literally hallowed ground. You all have made history today because you have made winners of the legacy by those slaves and by Levi and Catherine Coffin. On this day in this small town, we demonstrated that Indiana is a model for racial equality. 2014, Fountain City, Indiana, groundbreaking for the Levi Coffin House, a refuge for slaves seeking freedom. One of the many endeavors Robin Winston has fostered to highlight African-Americans in Indiana. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Robin Winston grew up in the suburbs of Pittsburgh. He still loves the Steelers, but says he also wears Colts blue. He attended the University of Louisville, where he was elected president of the student body. Robin moved to Indianapolis in 1993 and dipped his toes into Democratic politics, serving under the late then-Governor Frank O'Bannon, and made history in 1999 when he became the first African-American to chair a major political party in Indiana. Robin went on to form the Winston Terrell Group in 2001, one of the largest minority-owned government affairs, community relations, and public outreach firms in the nation. And it gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome to the podcast this week Robin Winston, an entrepreneur, uh, a uh, guy who has been a business owner now for more than two decades, 22 years at Winston Terrell Group. And Robin, always good, to, always good to see you. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Trying to figure out, like a lot of people, how to avoid the heat. But I figured it out. I'm inside. So I guess that's part of figuring it out. But I'm doing great. It's good to be with you, Gary. Well, you talk about avoiding the heat. Now, your firm, you deal a lot in uh, public outreach, community involvement, engagement. But you have have long been uh, very involved in politics. So, you know, uh, avoiding the heat, it's tough to avoid the heat in politics. What's, what's, hey, what's the latest? How, how would you gauge uh, kind of the political environment now when you look, uh, first of all, at the, at the national level, a lot of attention focused to the midterms, which is still a few, few months away. What's your uh, read on uh, things at the national level right now? Well, it's, first off, it's just June. So there's still time for people to recalibrate 
their campaigns. I'm not one who, you know, I think election night, we could end up with very close elections and where we end up with the House and the Senate is unknown at this point. I do believe that there are going to be some Senate seats that we could, as a party, Democrats could pick up, which will solidify uh, what we have in the Senate. But, you know, who knows? Who knows? 10 years, I mean, uh, 10 weeks ago that we'd be dealing with a tragedy in Texas with 21 people killed and 22 people killed, Buffalo and those things. Um, we learn, as you know, in the business, and you've also been in this for quite some time, you know that the, the news is always evolving. But right now, my biggest hope is that we can reduce some of the rancor and the divisiveness that has gone from just being debate to violence. Uh, you know, when you arrest whatever 31 people I believe in Idaho whose intent, just think on a Saturday afternoon, you just woke up and said, we're going to go down and we're going to commit acts of violence against people that are not in our, in our wheelhouse. They're not doing anything to us. They simply have a different ideology. I just think we got to tone that down a little bit. And if we can, that'd be great. The gun bill uh, holds some promise. You know, John Corrin from Texas, not exactly a liberal firebrand, meeting with Chris Murphy from uh, from Connecticut and cobbling together a deal that I think will help try to make our society safer, address the, the real crux of this issue, which is mental health. Uh, I think that's real important. It isn't just access to weapons. It's the combination of mental health issues and access to weapons. Uh, because there's nobody you haven't ever broadcast in ever that it was a, a sensible murder. Nobody ever says that. So they're always senseless. So I hope some of the rancor comes down. I hope some of the violence comes down. And I hope we can continue to, to have bipartisan efforts to move ahead. I want to ask you about that divisiveness in a moment. But first of all, back to kind of where you're seeing the national elections going. There are a lot of folks out there actually on both sides of the aisle who are predicting a red wave. You're, you're not seeing that. You're seeing, saying you, you think it may be a little closer than people are talking about now. Well, if I've learned anything being in this business, you can't predict anything. In 1998, there was a, a scandal involving William Jefferson Clinton as president of the United States. Everybody, I happened to be at the state party at that point. I was not chair then, but I'd become chair the next year. And everybody said, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. The Democrats will lose. He actually picked up seats. You know, there's been all the things about Donald Trump. And last night, his candidates in South Carolina did fairly well. So, you know, it's a, it's an endless news cycle uh, to Try to predict four months before an election is problematic and, quite frankly, unfair to those candidates that are out there today in the heat and trying to win the election in a few months. You mentioned the divisive nature of politics. Have you ever seen it this divisive before, both sides of the aisle? It just seems like there, there is, it is so difficult to get anything passed or moved forward because of the entrenched positions on either side of the aisle, if one side says this is a good idea, the other side says no and back and forth. Has it ever been this bad? I don't think it's been this bad. It was very bad in 2010, when, whenever, or 2009 and 2010, whenever Obamacare was being debated. If you remember, that was the resurgence of the Tea Party. That's when, you know, there, and, and I told my Republic, my then Republican counterpart on the station that one of your members of the staff, Teresa, worked at. Uh, you know, don't be happy about about the resurgence of the Tea Party helping you win elections, because sooner or later, in the words of the Kennedy inauguration, those who ride the back of the tiger often end up inside. And, you know, so so that's switched. And look where we are now. They would nominate Murdoch as a candidate for states, you know, U.S. Senate in 12. He got defeated. 
Uh, Aiken got defeated in Missouri in 12. So it is cyclical in this profession. It's no different than business up and down. But no, I've not seen it this way. You know, you look at the Biden appointees, sometimes it takes Kamala Harris to come over and break a 50-50 tie to make somebody head of the Environmental Protection Agency's Clean Water Division. To me, that that's that's demonstrating that there's a lot of rancor still in, in Washington. How about here in Indiana? What's your what's your take on the political vibe right now in Indiana? Republicans talk about being cyclical. Republicans uh, have a stranglehold right now when you talk about the state house, the governor's office. How, how are you reading the Indiana political scene right now, Robin? Well, I think the Indiana political scene is going to be up to the to the voters here in a few months. Clearly, there is the right wing of the Republican Party and the extremely right wing of the Republican Party. You know, who'd think it took an all Republican Supreme Court to ratify that the governor was right about being able to bring people back in special session and uh, not the legislature? This is all in, in their camp. And I think there's a lot of rancor there. They have a state convention uh, that, that is coming up where there are candidates that are running to say that they are not supported by the governor. They're running for secretary of state at this point at their own Republican state convention. So I learned a long time ago, listening to Frank O'Bannon, who was a true mentor of mine, that you know having an extreme supermajority is not always good because in some ways, you know, you you reduce the debate, you reduce the opportunity for there to be any form of compromise because one whole group is just totally subject to being uh, outside the flow. So right now, I think the governor has brought logic. So get ready, bloggers or online people to castigate me. I think the <laughs> governor has brought logic to a lot of situations. He's been the 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 tempest in a teapot that has kept some of the things from boiling over. As you look at um, the governor's race, the next governor, who's the next governor going to be? <laughs> well, I know who I'd like for it to be. I don't know that they will necessarily run, but I believe we're going to have a very strong candidate um, for governor in, in 2024. I who'd think you like to, who'd you like to see run, Robin? Well, I think that, uh, that former Senator Joe Donnelly would be an outstanding candidate. I think uh, present uh, U.S. Senate candidate Tom McDermott, if he doesn't win, uh, the mayor of Hammond would be a very solid candidate. But I also think you think outside the box, maybe somebody from the business sector with the with Democratic pedigree that that might be out there that might look at running and could be somebody considered. But on the other side, they've got the cast of Ben-Hur so that I don't date myself. It's the cast of the mummy lined up, ready, ready to run for office on their side. The only people happy about that are the printers and the direct mail firms because they're going to make a lot of money sending things out for Republican candidates. <laughs> Recent development. In West Lafayette, Mitch Daniels announcing his intention to uh, uh, retire to step down as president. You will be doing that uh, in a number of months. That sparks some speculation. Do you think Mitch is going to get back into politics? Well, if, if he would, it's needed at the national level. You know, this is a guy that was budget director under George W. Bush, came back home here and ran and won re-election, has done a, a solid job at Purdue. Um, you certainly know more about Purdue than you used to know about Purdue. But, you know, maybe he could be I read I read a column the other day saying he could be the kind of guy that maybe get involved nationally uh, to try to slow some of these things down. He focused not so much on the social issues. He focused on 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 financial issues and government delivery service issues, which I think I think uh, folks at the national level should devote their energy to not some of the rancor we have now. Yeah. 
You mentioned Frank O'Bannon a moment ago, former Indiana governor, longtime politician here uh, who passed away in office. And many of us remember those uh, uh, difficult times for for Indiana. But as you think about your relationship with Frank O'Bannon as a mentor, what what and I'm sure there were many things, but what what things did you learn from him? Frank O'Bannon would be the kind of guy that would go to a Du Bois County Jefferson Jackson Day dinner. He would be almost one of the first people there. And he literally would be the last person to leave. Um, he was respectful. He'd dip his head into the kitchen and say thanks to the people that had prepared the meals. His state troopers loved going with us because all of a sudden they're having a surf and turf for dinner and not having <laughs> to stop at Taco Bell or whatever on the way home. He was always respectful of people. Uh, he knew he wasn't going to get up there and be the orator of a Barack Obama or anything like that. He spoke common sense. His, his approach was common sense. And it was invaluable as we move forward and trying to get our message out to folks. But I would say that. What, the other thing that stands out to me is in the days before Garmin GPS, we had this thing <laughs> called maps, right? <laughs> and and uh, Frank Lewis O'Bannon knew his way back to court. And Robin Winston, the then driver of the car, I, well, he wasn't governor, he was lieutenant governor. Um, I'm thinking I'm going to be, you know, 64 through Ferdinand, come down bird's eye. I still remember I was the route and get on 64, take it into Louisville. And he looks at me, he's like, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm following the map. And he goes, nah, go down here, County Road 3, go over here, across the creek, down by the barn, see the kids play <laughs> softball. Anyways, somehow we ended up in court and in the back way because he knew the back roads of Indiana because he had served people. It yeah. wasn't getting some tenant window SUV, get whisked down there, all the way there, complain, get out, grip, grin, and leave. He right. actually was of Indiana. The last thing I'll tell you is he loved his farm uh, down on the, uh, the Bannon farm. Um, he prided himself on it. So this guy's out in the mud, in the muck, with raiders on, putting in uh, billy pads uh, to make his farm viable. So he was of Indiana. And then last but not least, because it's appropriate, I say it makes me look like I know what I'm talking about. He always would say to farmers is a corn knee high by the 4th of July. (laughs) And if it was knee high by the 4th of July, he knew something. So that tells you the kind of man that he was. That's good. What do you remember about those those dark days when uh, he he passed away, was stricken, as I recall, by a stroke in Chicago and passed away several days later? What what do you remember about those, those days? Well, first think about what he was doing. Even then, he was on a mission for trade with Asian countries. So he was even in those days, he could have stayed home. He was giving his time and effort to try to bring more jobs, which you talk about so diligently and excellently every week. He was trying to bring jobs back to Indiana. It was not a good time. It was very tough on all of us. But luckily, we had a lieutenant governor who unfortunately had seen even worse as a POW in Vietnam. So he had overcome extreme adversity. And, and things. And Joe Kernan was right there to literally be his wingman and be an outstanding lieutenant governor during a dark hour. Yeah. You mentioned O'Bannon as a mentor. There are others, many others, I'm sure, who you learn from in the political process here in Indiana. One of them, Joe Kernan. What, do you, what are your best remembrances? Again, I'm sure there are many, but best remembrances about Joe Kernan, the man. You didn't know he was a POW. I mean, you know, he wasn't the kind of guy that was going to be you know, pushing up to the bar to tell everybody he was a POW. 
he and he clearly was a POW and was shot out of the sky and and went through a lot of very very tough times. But he didn't talk about that. He was a person that was as at home at the Great Divide, eating a hamburger, as he was being at the Indy 500 in the suites with executives around the state. A true patriot, and he loved South Bend. He loved Notre Dame, and he was unabashedly. A strong fan of the Irish, but he also was a man that, you know, you're looking at somebody that could say to you, you have no idea what I've gone through, but he never invoked that. Mm -hmm. Um, That that modesty uh, is something that I think will always resonate with me. How about another uh, iconic Indiana politician, certainly a family name in, in our state, and that's Evan Bayh. Wow. I mean, you know, this is that guy who obviously meteoric rise to to become governor. I think he was 32 or something like that when he was governor. Always on a short list to be a presidential candidate or a vice presidential candidate. Made a big difference here with uh, the excise tax being cut in half by instituting the Hoosier lottery that made a lot of difference for people. Different type of politician than Frank O'Bannon. You know, clearly clearly he was a United States senator uh, elected by the people of the state two times. But, you know, in his own way, which is an outstanding way, um, he blazed the trail for the resurgence of the Democratic Party. Our road in 1996 would have definitely been a lot tougher if we were not the lieutenant governor to a very popular governor in Evan Bayh. And what he shared with the state and, and the fact that, uh, you know, even in his hours that he dealt with the, the passing of his wife, he still comes back to Indiana, still trying to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And as you and I were talking before we started the podcast, one of your uh, really key mentors doesn't have an Indiana connection, but Mayor Maynard Jackson, uh, the former mayor of Atlanta, was a big mentor and influence on your life. Oh, Mike, you know, I was fortunate enough to be state chair, and there were only three African-American state chairs at that point, myself, the chair of Georgia and the chair of Louisiana. And uh, Maynard Jackson, when I was walking down the hall, um, I introduced myself to him. I thought, you know, I'm a big guy. I introduced myself to Maynard Jackson. And I shook his hand and I said, I'm Robin Winston. I'm chair of the Indiana Democratic Party. And he said, oh, no way. And I said, oh, yeah, I am. Oh, come here. So he puts, you know, guy's 6'4". He could be an a, a, a inside lineman at that point. He's walking me down the hall, not letting me go. He's going to take me in. And we open the door. And all of a sudden, he's got me in a ballroom speaking to the Congressional Black Caucus. He waves his hand and says... Raise his hand and said, I want to introduce you to this guy who says he is, says he is, doesn't say is, says he is the chairman of the Indiana Democratic Party. Somebody from the back room yells out Larry Bird. Somebody else yells out Bobby Knight. And I was like, wow. So then they took me up to the podium and I had to go up there in the front of the room and introduce myself. No script, nothing. But he became a mentor. He ran for the United States Senate in 1968 against uh, Herman Talmadge, who was a longtime Georgia Politico. Remember, that's only three years after people that look like me were granted the right to vote uh, in Georgia. So when you look now at Reverend Ralph Warnock as a United States Senator from Georgia and Stacey Abrams as the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia, their past to success were probably blazed by Maynard Jackson, who, if you go to Harshfield Jackson Airport, the, the uh, airport is named in his honor. Just a tremendous guy. I went to his funeral uh, in Atlanta. And, you know, this is a guy, just one last story. When he was mayor, he had to deal with public housing issues. So he went and lived in public housing for a week. 
Now, probably they changed everything around, probably unbelievable police patrols that week, whatever it was. But he made a statement and he stayed in public housing for a week to demonstrate he was not above people. So um, very animated man, very just you know, he'd call me up and say, you need to be doing what I'm doing. And I'm like, excuse me there, uh, Mayor, uh, you have Hank Aaron, Mrs. King, John Lewis, Julian Bond. Um, those are just the ones that I can name that can come to support you. I don't have that. I don't have that kind of backup. So please understand. It. <laughs> You're talking about trailblazers there. And among your many talents and achievements, you uh, producer on a documentary, right? Indiana trailblazers that yes. you uh, produced was nominated for an Emmy. Talk about that, that process, what that was like and, and really what the intent was with Indiana trailblazers. Well, it was really a labor of love. And, and where it started is I was down in Evansville, Indiana, and I was talking to Reverend W.R. Brown. And I looked over his shoulder and behind him was a picture of Martin Luther King and him with their arms around each other. And I said, you need Morehouse men, Morehouse College in Atlanta. And he said, oh, we went to Morehouse together. King is a friend of mine, ate dinner at my house. So he's telling me the stuff that I think, boy, you better get this kind of thing dedicated to video. So I, w I went out and uh, sought uh, Andrea Moorhead and Archie Allen. Uh, they have a thing called Clover Lane Media. They helped do the heavy lifting. But in that video, John Lewis, who was here the night that Bobby Kennedy spoke at 17th in college, uh, um, Bill Crawford, who ended up being Ways and Means Committee chairman and still holds the record for the longest serving time by an African-American in any General Assembly in the country was, was in the video. Amos Brown, who was also was a media icon here in the community. So what we were trying to do, Gary, was get this stuff dedicated to video. Dick Hatcher, first African-American elected mayor of a major city. Um, he would have been the first, but Ohio's primary is in April, ours is in May. But um, Dick Hatcher gave me time and talked about his efforts. So we put it together, went out and raised the money for it, put it up on PBS, had an Emmy nomination for it, and uh, it's still around and still, in fact, soon we're going to be announcing, we're going to be showing it at the Indiana State Museum. I happen to be on the board of directors there. And it's going to be shown in the Legacy Hall on a continuous loop so that people that come in can, can see it. So it's very worthwhile. Thank you for mentioning it. Yeah, good stuff. Hey, much more with Robin Winston when we return, including uh, growing up in Pittsburgh. He was and still is, unfortunately, a Steelers fan. Uh, how he got to the Midwest, a lot more when Business and Beyond podcast continues with Robin Winston. Stay with us. First Person Advisors is now a subsidiary of National Financial Partners, the fifth largest insurance broker and consultant in the world. Develop your total reward strategies all in one place with the combination of First Person's local expertise and NFP's global resources and integrated solutions. Learn more at firstpersonadvisors.com. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Robin Winston, an entrepreneur, business owner, owner of Winston Terrell Group, a firm uh, that specializes in public outreach, uh, community projects, a whole range of uh, services provided. Robin, uh, obviously very well connected in the political communities 
in Indiana and beyond as well. And, and Robin, you, you have been in Indiana for some time now, but you're a native Pittsburgher, right? Grew up uh, in the Steel City. I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, about 30 miles outside. We thought Pittsburgh was a suburb of our town. So that's how <laughs> the globe was. But yeah, I grew up outside of Pittsburgh. And I heard you um, mention something about being a Steeler fan. You know, when you leave the hospital in Western Pennsylvania, they give you like you're branded with a Steeler logo. But thanks to people like Steve Campbell and people at the Colts, uh, and I don't live far from it. I am, uh, I, when I walk around uh, the, the area by the Colts, I've got blue and white on. And when they come here November 28th, I'll have a blue and white hat on, probably some black and gold someplace else. But the, yes. <laughs> Good. Hey, what, what was uh, what was life like for you growing up in uh, in the Pittsburgh area? It's fantastic. Um, when I was a little kid, um, I was fortunate to go see a very little kid, go see John Kennedy. So I'm not going to uh, foray through Western Pennsylvania to thank the Democrats that got him elected. I read his speech that he gave that day. Uh, it was right in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis, but he spent. Uh, and a lot of time on it, thanking the people that came. And, uh, you know, look, at that point, you're a Democrat in Western Pennsylvania. Um, my brother, my late brother's name was McCoy Franklin Delano Roosevelt Winston. So if that tells you how much that's ingrained, wow. you know, in your, in your living room on your mantle was a picture of Bobby Kennedy and John Kennedy and Dr. Martin Luther King and Jesus Christ. So maybe in that order. No, I'm not saying that. But it was, it was that was. That was uh, what you grew up on. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm proud of it. Went to school at the University of Louisville, Harvard on the Ohio. Uh, the first time that I made my foray there to visit was, this is brilliant, brilliant. I went down there Derby weekend, um, standing in the middle of Main Street. I might, I might have had a cold beverage. I don't know what it was, Gary. Or two. I might have had a cold yeah. beverage. <laughs> and for your listeners, I was of an age within range. But anyways, I might have had a cold beverage there and then uh, looked around and thought, boy, this is a great place to go. And is it like this all the time? And no, it not like derby time all the time. So, yeah, I went. Uh, those are, you know, you, you, those are the roots. I still see. Look what happened. I mean, so tell you, you give me accolades about being in business and politics. I reached out to the Biden team and said, I'd love to help work on Western Pennsylvania. Uh, in the 2020 race. And I had no idea, first, that his national headquarters would be in Philadelphia. Secondly, that on, um, on uh, I think it was November 11th, is they finally declared victory because Pennsylvania's votes came in at the end of that week. So it turned out to be a battleground state. It'd be a battleground state again. I will tell you one thing about Pittsburghers. If the equivalent was here in Indiana and you lived in Marion, you would say you're from Indianapolis. Wow. Pittsburghers have a tendency to say, well, where are you from? From Greensburg. Greensburg is 70 miles away. Yeah, well, actually, I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm from Pittsburgh. You know, I mean, so they have it, you know, almost all the way to Erie. You're you're considered a Pittsburgher in that state. Yeah. Hey, hey describe Pittsburgh then. It's undergone over the years, I know, a transformation from a, a, a steel city and a real blue-collar town to, I know, a lot of technology and innovation taking place out there now. But talk about the, the old Pittsburgh versus today. If you went where Heinz Field is in PNC Park, those were Jones and Lachlan steel mills. When we would go to an amusement park back there that was up on a bluff, you would look down in the city and you couldn't see the city. Now, that black smoke to some people 
meant pollution. To other people, it meant jobs. Sure. Um, so, so what happened was the demise of the steel industry, probably around the early 80s, it started going down uh, quite a bit, at least domestic steel. So the production stopped and the community had to make a decision which way they were going to move. Um, they're blessed in that they have outstanding educational institutions there, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. But the big one that made me laugh is Carnegie Mellon University, um, a leading robotics institution. And in the middle of the Tonys, which was brilliant on their part, they sponsored Playwright of the Year. And then here's Carnegie Mellon from Pittsburgh had in the Emmy program, talking about the kind of students that they have and the kind of academics they have. Don't forget, and then and another mentor of mine, and I was fortunate to know him, was John Hines, United wow. States Senator from there, who unfortunately was killed in, in a plane crash, I think, in 91 or 92. Uh, John Hines um, was the scion of Hines Ketchup, Hines Relish, Hines Field, Hines Chapel, Hines. Anyway, you, you get the yeah. drift here. So yeah. he, was, he was United States Senator from back there. To give you a difference, so get ready, bloggers and haters online, get ready. In seven, and in, in when he first ran for the U.S. Senate, we went to Philadelphia holding up you, uh, John Hines for U.S. Senate signs because we wanted a senator from Western Pennsylvania. And he was a moderate, took on Reagan. Reagan was trying to tell him that ketchup was a, rel- was a, um, a vegetable for the school lunch program. And who would know better about ketchup and what made it than Hines? But the community has evolved. Uh, they have an African-American mayor now. Um, their airport's one of the busiest in the country. So I'm going to slow down here because I don't want people to think I'm being paid by the Allegheny County Pittsburgh Chamber of Commerce. You mentioned the Derby, but what, what attracted you to uh, the University of Louisville? How'd you, how'd you wind up there? <laughs> I was watching the NCAA finals. And you know how they have those ads for universities? And the University of Louisville was in the final. And they ran this wonderful ad of horses running along and paddle boats and people smiling. And I said, that's where I want to go. And in those days, Gary, you probably know this, you got your brochures and things. You didn't go online. You didn't send an email. You waited until it came to you, right? So you got your big, thick brochure and opened it up and it was great. And then of course, I told you I went down derby time and that that helped seal the deal. In fact, the first time I came to Indianapolis, we were playing in the national championship uh, in 1980. Yeah. Uh, for the NCAA. Market Square Arena. Market Square Arena. We had a guy named Daryl Griffith. This was before the three-point shot was allowed. Either we beat or we upset, although we were ranked like number one going into the tournament, but we played UCLA for the tournament. The other schools, I think, were Iowa and Purdue. And Purdue, yeah. So they were in the Final Four. But even then, and then at that point, I'm going to transition to Indianapolis. There wasn't a lot going on around Market Square Arena. In fact, we got on the bus and Turned around and went back and went back to Louisville because there really wasn't a lot downtown at that point. Probably yeah. the NCAA was the biggest thing. But even then, you all were on the map as a city. And I, I keep telling people that they don't put NCAAs and tournaments in places that are going nowhere. Yeah. So even then, Indianapolis. Yeah. Hey, your, your connection to politics began early, right? Because as I understand it, Robin Winston was president of the student body at the University of Louisville. Yeah, I was the Dominic guy that everybody else is on spring break and I'm putting up signs on <laughs> polls that say elect Robin. I mean, it, that's hard to do. You know, you're looking at, you know, you're on a campus. It's not by registered voters. It's by the students, right? So 
I'm out there in the dark by some dorms, um, handing things out to people. I'm Robin Winston. Had my little, everything was polyester then, right? So I have my polyester shirt on, polyester everything. And I'm out there shaking hands and asking people to vote for me. But I did get elected and and um, was, yeah, I, made, I was the first African-American to be president student body. So it was, it was good. I mean, I made sure our dorms got renovated, got those water fountains to work, did the, all those crucial things that were crucial in those days. Gary, we got done. I like it. I like it. Hey, what's, what's next for Robin uh, Winston? You're a busy guy. You got a lot going on with your, uh, with your business, uh, the things you're doing. And among those, which I should mention, because talking about community outreach and I know you do a lot of work in the the world of academia and and in school systems around the state. Talk about uh, where your kind of your your business is focused these days. Business is doing. Um, we've helped school districts promote themselves. Public school districts promote themselves so that they can ultimately get the kind of funding they need to do that. Here in Marion County, we've been fortunate to be part of nine public outreach efforts that have resulted in in funding coming to support public schools. But the area that I'm really focused on a lot is preserving African-American history. And I promise not to do a Joe Biden at the top of the show, so I'm not going to talk forever about that. But I wish people could see the enthusiasm for preserving African-American history across the state. And I'll give you two quick stories. I'm down in the middle of a field in, in Rush County in Carthage, Indiana. This is a site of the first African-American Episcopal Church in the state. Bethel. It is, the roof is caving in, but it's been there for quite some time, since the 1800s. They were seeking funds just to, to stabilize the building to keep it from, from falling in. So I'm there and I'm like, okay, all right, so what can we do to help you? You know, because of course I'm from the city, big time, right? So I'm, I'm going to help them out. These people had already raised like 60 or $70,000 at the local level. And I said, how did you raise that? And they were like, bake sales. I was like, what were, you, what were you baking? What was in the bake sales? I mean, you know, you're, you're doing that. They raised money. The end result is we raised enough money, to, thanks in part to Landmarks and the Stanley Cox uh, Fund over there. We're able to stabilize the building. It's still there. Never been one sense of vandalism. The second one that I'm very proud of is the Levi Coffin House. Right. Uh, now Levi and Catherine Coffin uh, Interpretive Center. Fountain City, Indiana, over in Wayne County. Since 1842, it's been there. They estimate, of course, wasn't anybody there with like a price line, but they estimate 2,000 slaves made their way to freedom through there, through that house alone, and then went up the eastern side of our state on their way to freedom in, in, in Michigan and Canada. We got involved with that. Once again, two women over there who had been docents, the place was closed, I think, three, three months of the year. They had raised like seventy dollars or $100,000 locally. We helped raise some money and we built next to it a building that Judy O'Bannon once looked at and said we ought to do something with a $3.2 million interpretive center that is now a, a kind of a chronology of slavery in America and also the, the fight for freedom. So going to Lyle Station this weekend, Lyle Station is right now being highlighted in the National African American Museum in Washington, going down there to help out on a, a, a project with that, if we can get that um, certified, we may come back to the state museum. And then finally, a, a Boy Scout in Thorntown um, went over and found some graves of African-Americans that were in a field, did a whole sonography of them, put up a ornamental fence around it, got a historical marker, got his Eagle Scout award for it, got recognized by landmarks. So what I'm saying to you, Gary, is all across the state, 
Um, African-American history resonates. We could do an entire show on that. Um, it's just great to be part of it. And if, if I have any supposed ability to make a difference, that's where I'm trying to make it also. Well, you are continuing to make a difference uh, in many ways, Robin Winston, uh, here in Indianapolis and around the state, very importantly. It's been a real treat to catch up with you. Always enjoy having you on the Insiders on the TV show and look forward to our next visit there as well. Gary, just keep doing what you're doing. It's a respite and in a, in a, in, I'm serious. I know you think people blow you up, but if this never makes it on TV, I'm going to say it. Just keep doing. I read your stuff in the morning, man. You could quiz me. I'm, <laughs> I'm cutting and pasting and sending it. I send, I, sometimes I send it to school districts. They're not even aware that they've even been in your in your publication. Yeah. You did something on Gary just not yep. long ago in, yep. a, in a program. So I'm being sincere with you. Keep doing that kind of thing because it's certainly more of a respite than the kind of things that 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 we watch on television and that we that we're appalled by. So keep being a positive voice. I I appreciate that, uh, Robin Winston. Great guest on this latest edition of the Business and Beyond podcast, a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, uh, academics, politics, and much more. You can catch all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.